Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a crowd podcast. Guys, nobody's got any crowds anywhere in rugby at the moment, but we've got one, haven't we? We've got a crowd. I'm the one, I'm shaking my head. You can you hear the crowd? I'm not like, no, <laughs> mate, you're a great actor. Mate, you got me. I was like, crowd. Uh, we've we've got a team, haven't we? Everybody's missing some social interaction, but we've got a team, we've got a team of, of top dogs. Uh, delighted to have teamed up with crowd uh, and looking forward to things going forward. That's former Franz Hooker Benjamin Kayser, an ex Scotland back row, Johnny BT, and this is the French Rugby Podcast. That was the sound of the French celebrations after their first win in Dublin for a decade. And it sounded pretty similar in the ITV studio where you and I were, Benji. You definitely win the award for the most animated pundit. I thought you were going to explode for a moment. So um, it was tense in there, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Honestly, I got over it. I, I, like, I really thought they were going to comfortably win this. But hats off to the, uh, to the Irish strategy and the back room and stuff. They really came out with a proper plan, right? And the first 25 minutes were a lot tougher than I thought. Brice Dulin, I thought, was extraordinary, undoing the pressure under the high balls. And in the end, we just gradually got there, stuck tight, uh, proved some solidarity and stuff, and a heck of a win. I mean, I was, I was on, my, on my toes last, for, the last, um, the, for the second half. I, I saw the French dominate. I saw the French win. But in the end, it's a two-point game. And a silly mistake in the last play, and then I would, I would, I would have been, you know, absolutely livid to see them, uh, to see that win slip away. As soon as they passed the the, the halfway line, I was scared shitless because any penalty is kickable, and then I didn't want to happen, you know. And they actually pushed them back twenty five meters almost because they get to the French sort of forty meter line, and then they bring them all the way back to the ten meter line in Irish camp. And I thought I was chuffed. And then the symbolic is that Antoine Dupont, you expect him, the absolute superstar that he is, to score a fifty meter try by individual brilliance and in the end he steals that last contest on the floor and he rips it out by, by being the smallest dude after being whacked whacked a couple of times during the game you could tell they really prepared themselves Keon Ely smashed him Anderson smashed him CJ Stander every time he could get a sniff at Dupont you, you knew they were not gonna bite any dummy even if there was an overlap they just wanted to smash him so no no I, I was chuffed I think it's a huge win in a diff- different way than I expected but a big big uh, building block for French success I absolutely loved it probably the best weekend of rugby rugby that I've enjoyed you know despite the fact that Scotland lost obviously <laughs> but that French win was unbelievable and just the different layers and the different facets to the performance I find it fascinating well you touched on the first 20-30 minutes which are really difficult so you had for me I've constantly said look Olivon's the only one that takes line out ball he's the only one tar- so they just stuck Ian Henderson right next to him you could tell Paul O'Connell done his homework the O'Connell effect and after 30 minutes they lost I think three or four and I was like oh yeah. man this is not going well but even line out laterally in the game in between LaRue and Willemse, he's so bloody high, Olivon. They continued to throw the ball just to him. Marshawn's throw quality is so good. They got away with it. They're so well drilled. Things worked. And then, look, I love watching rugby in that 
when you see the prep behind and the starter plays and launch plays and, and what you're trying to do, how you're trying to manipulate the Irish team. And I just thought it was amazing to watch unfold how they smashed up through the, through Billy Burns, through Henshaw, wiped everything out the way. I thought Fiku, Vincent were outstanding with Jalibert Aldrit as well from launch plays. And that's it. Once they generated that quick ball and got around the corner, they could have scored twice off second phase ball, which is unheard of really a test match rugby. And what I loved was they create that chaos with their dominance, taking away the middle of the pitch from Ireland. And then you had Jalibert, Dupont, guys flying onto the ball, playing what's in front of them. Completely the opposite to what you see with England, giving up six on twos against Scotland and kicking the ball away. Real rugby players with a proper system in place, allowing themselves to express themselves, dominate collisions, offloads, try things. And it, mate, it was amazing to watch. I absolutely loved it. And the, the number of times, Johnny, that we say that international rugby is about seizing your opportunities, right? Yeah, 100%. Like you said, the first three lineouts are, are crap. They get either well-countered or just slightly overthrown yeah. because, because they wanted to go for the well, you know, for the last little centimeters. First clear line-out, Gael Ficou wins the advantage line and then they keep yeah. on going with pace. Jalibert inside, Julien Marchand inside, Antoine Dupont just chucks that bomb pass, but obviously because everything works with him, then we pick it up and we score and Gary Fico makes you forget that Vakatawa wasn't even playing uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know the other day because how good is he I think he's absolute class I was looking he's he's not even 27 he's t- turning 27 he's end of March yeah he's turning 27 end of March he's got 60 caps <laughs> he's I a mean he's, he's a freaking legend he <laughs> yeah. is a freaking legend that's developed from this kid who was capable of you know doing a, a crazy dummy and running the whole pitch Scoring the last minute try against England to win in, uh, what is it? I can't remember, 14, 15, whatever it was, an opener of the Six Nations uh, at, the, at the 79th minute or something to a guy who's leading defense, who's vice captain of the team, who's the spirit of this team and, and who actually distributes a lot more than he used to. And he's uh, a good pivot. I, I and he's a good dude. I never noticed them really until this year in top 14 defensively. I think they've taken yeah. him and said, look, you, you're capable of taking people up high. You can chop, you can use your speed if people get around you. It doesn't matter the amount of turnovers and ball rips he gets and yeah. impacts in different ways he's making in a game now. Incredible to watch. But look, the two tries that they scored, I think it was a massive turning point when the low try was disallowed with his foot in touch, so yeah. rightly disallowed. But that really sort of changed the momentum of the game. And then once France got their opportunities, they were gone. They're too good now. When, when they get front foot ball, once they get a chance to a sniff of a, something could be done or something could be finished, they're gone. But like, again, how stupidly, how you have to craft and work hard to generate opportunities like those two tries, which were superb, the ones that France scored. And then you look at the Irish score, which comes from an Olivon, you know, an essay casquette, as they would say in France, but something stupid yeah. like, like Olivon, great, Pressure line out, bounce rugby ball, and Kelleher goes away and scores from 40 meters. So I think that's why it was closer in the end. But look, fantastic result for France. Again, first win in 10 years, but also, Benji, for me, the last 10 minutes were almost Gatlin, Sean Edwards-esque in their yeah. defense. I think people would have said, you know, France would have crumbled previously in, in the last 10 years, in the last 20 minutes of games. But France now, you know, Thibaut Giroud, they're fit. Exactly. They're organized. Uh, they've got a drive about them like Bernard LaRue burning boys for 80 minutes, even though he had his 10-minute seat on the naughty step. They repelled. Ireland lost 30 meters on that last play, and it was incredible to watch. I just thought they've, they've taken another step, um, and I absolutely loved watching it. But is that the most impressive thing about this performance and the thing that will have surprised most outsiders? Because we've spoken to Thibaut Giroud. We know how fit they are now. We know about Sean Edwards. We know the defense. We know they've still got flair, Antoine Dupont. But it's that mental thing, isn't it? The last 10 years, exactly. France would have lost that game. It's exactly that. And and, and you mentioned Thibaut Giroud. And I, I mean, listen, we I, I was blown away. So I knew how important he was. But we chatted within an hour and, and I was like, holy shit, he's probably as important as Fabien Galtier. Yeah. It's incredible what he's done and what, what he's still doing. And what people don't really realize is exactly what you said, Tim. The There's talent. There's obviously flair. There's commitment. There's some hard grafters. But Rory Best, Brian O'Driscoll, who were there, and who obviously said it with a lot of respect how much they were threatened about the, the France power and their talent, still said, we expected to crumble for them to crumble at the end. We expected them to do a Bernard Leroux of just trying to trip a guy and the, after 20 minutes, which is a stupid, stupid mistake, which he should never do again because that was clearly a, a little sneaky a sneaky one. <laughs> and I'm sure he won't do it again because Famigati will be on his ass for, for a long time now. And, and those last 10 minutes, precisely that. The lucidity 
of being in the fire of the, of, of the war, if you know what I mean, with 95 or 96% maximum pulse up your brain where you're about to explode, but still uh, keeping discipline, still knowing that you need to just to push them away from your line because otherwise the closer they get, the more uh, the easier it gets for a penalty to be uh, reachable distance and then just staying there, staying there. Staying. So I, I couldn't agree more. Thibaut Giroud's influence on conditioning, Sean Edwards' influence on mentality and, and Fabia Galtier and all the rest of the band uh, f- for the strategic genius for the game. That's, that's the last 10 minutes. And that's why I think it's such an actually a big win. I thought it was going to be an easy win that you would say, oh, France are really good. Now it's actually a huge, solid win that they can build from because bloody hell, it was tough because the Irish really played a lot better than they did last week. I think that's the biggest change is that, is that France now are capable of playing in different ways. So if a game is exactly. easy and broken up, they can start with structure and then they can break off and they can play. But if they have to grind which I think would have been the big criticism when it gets tough before because they didn't have those different building blocks of organization, they could crumble. Or because mentally it was harder because you weren't organized, you would exit a system and something bad yeah. would happen. You'd concede a penalty. Whereas now they're bloody tough to, to break down. Even watching when Burn came on, like you had ring roads, you had Earls, they looked threatening. They would get to an edge, kind of stretch France, but they never, ever broke. That was the one thing that I thought was excellent. It was a complete change of what we've seen in years past and it was it was amazing to watch. Well, that's the French viewpoint, but let's get an Irish take on the game now. Um, we can have a chat with an Irishman who lives in France, but he's actually talking to us from Tenerife. Work that one out. It's former <laughs> Ireland international and Toulouse legend, Trevor Brennan. How are you? Uh, very good, thanks. Uh, been in lockdown since October, uh, working hard, doing up my bars. I suppose this week's school holidays in France. I just said I needed a break, so I did my PCR test and came back negative. So yeah, a week in Tenerife, it's great to just get a bit of reality, to be able to sit down, have a pint and to be able to go into a restaurant and order a meal. It's just the simple things that, that we miss, you know? Absolutely, all above board and um, we're not jealous at all, are we guys? Oh, got it. <laughs> Mate, did you manage to catch the game yesterday? What did you make of... Uh... That win for France in Ireland. Oh, I did, yeah. Unfortunately, I found the bar three hours before the match. So <laughs> after about 15 large bottles of Magners now. Um, no, listen, I watched the match. It was fantastic. Uh, I, I don't believe that France played their best rugby. Um, I thought the scrum struggled. thought their line-out struggled a bit as well. But Ireland obviously gave their, you know, their fighting spirit. They really brought it to the table yesterday. And how, how can you actually like judge a France Ireland game considering that both both your your sons play for France uh like on you know under 20s and under 18s and all that and maybe in the future we'll, we'll you know represent France in the senior level ah listen um I suppose you can take the man out of Ireland but you can't take Ireland out of the man if that makes sense <laughs> um I would feel very privileged that Leinster and Ireland gave me my first chance but I feel even more privileged that Toulouse and France gave me my second chance um I suppose I originally only signed for Toulouse for two years, but thankfully that was extended to five. And I suppose I never really put any pressure on my kids to play rugby. They, they kind of did everything from judo to boxing to soccer, kind of rugby. They just came across rugby by, by mistake. They started off in a small little club in the village where I live. And I suppose they got detected uh, midi Pyrenees selection and were asked to, to join Toulouse. I suppose I'd be a very proud father to see them putting on the French jersey. I just think that's fantastic. I just think it's a great story in the fact that I played for Ireland. And now that my kids have kind of followed in my path, but obviously they're wearing the French jersey. But I just think France has been so good to us. And I just feel like it's, it's the country that, that has adopted us as a family. For those who don't know, the, your, your eldest is, is a, a prop who obviously is, is, is under-20s World Cup champion uh, two years ago now with the amazing generation of the Carbonel and all that. And he was, he was uh, influential in that setup. And the younger one, who I, didn't, I haven't seen much apart from playing for the under-20s, and bloody hell, he impressed me. Uh, yeah. I think Josh is his, his first name. Josh, Josh, that's a proper right. Lock, a proper hard-working, grafting lock who on top of that has got hands. And I think when he, when he does a clear out, I think you understand his last name. <laughs> yeah. he's not, he, you know he where he's from. Says, you know, unfortunately, the game has changed and the cameras and you've been watched for everything. But I think he would have suited rugby back 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> and there was a few less cameras. I think if I'd have played today, no, I'd probably only play two games a year. <laughs> And so Danny, who came off the bench last night for Breathe, he's there, did really well coming off. You've got Josh, number two, um, and Bobby, number three, who's meant to be the biggest character out of the three of them. Um, is Bobby tied up with Toulouse as well? Is he down the rugby path? Yeah, he's Toulouse as well, yeah. Thankfully, yeah. He's a 
He's a big unit. He's probably six foot, hundred kilos. Fourteen years old. So yeah, I think there's. He's he's propping at the moment, but uh, I'd say his preferred position would be number eight. So you're gonna have a prop, a second rower, and an eight. It's not bad. <laughs> and you mentioned Trevor that um, no real divided loyalties when um, Ireland are playing France. Very much an Irishman you are. Um, if Leinster play to lose, are you? Um... I'd be hundred percent to lose. No, listen, I would. Uh, no, I'd have to put my hand up and say, listen, I'd be shouting very much for France nowadays. But, um, you know, a couple of years ago when I knew a lot of the Irish guys that would have played, but O'Driscoll, Darcy, Hickey, Costello, and, uh, you know, when, you see, when, you, when I came to Toulouse and I was still watching these guys play, I would have probably shouted for Ireland. But very much now, I suppose, I'd, I'd be uh, an adopted French supporter. And uh, I wouldn't be afraid to say that either, you know. <laughs> I think in this show, Trevor, we always we always mention the, the the foreigners who come over to France, and it's just the attitude in which they do it, and that's mm. really uh, it, it then it speaks out to you know what to the bloke that they are, but also to the it reflects on how well they actually go within the team, and I know that you became a crowd favorite in, in Toulouse just because you played you, you you know you gave your heart and soul to this team. I mean, you played back row, you played second row, you played off the bench, you were always uh, giving your one hundred and fifty percent for the for. The, is that just you or is that you buying into, obviously you still live in Toulouse, so falling in love with the French culture, falling with that extraordinary region where they, Stade Toulouse is the heartbeat of the region. I mean, they absolutely are bananas over their rugby and their history behind it. I suppose, again, I probably just fell in love with the club and fell in love with the, the city of Toulouse and fell in love with the people of Toulouse. Um, it was the first time I ever felt accepted as a rugby player. Um, in Ireland, it's very much, I came from a very small club and in a small club in a small village and didn't come through the school system. So uh, I think when I played for Ireland, there was very few Irish players had come through that system. And um, I suppose you, I always felt judged in Ireland um, because uh, if your father was a bus driver, your mother was a waitress in a hotel, it was just, you know what I mean? You just didn't, you always just didn't fit into the, that class. But I suppose the first time I ever really felt accepted as a rugby player, as just Trevor Brennan, the man, was when I signed for Toulouse because... It was just, it was carte blanche, uh, as they say in France. Yeah, they accepted you for what you did on the pitch and what you did off the pitch. And I suppose, you know, I mean, it was a great generation of players like, you know, William Savatian and Brew fighting it out for the hooker position, Benoit Lecoult, Jean-Baptiste Pooks, myself and Fabien Palouse, you know, Fabien obviously a legend in French rugby, you know. But packing down with him in the second row, we had the Maca brothers. They were the only two English speakers at the time. Um, I used to have to fight fight with them all the time to tell them to stop speaking Tongan. But um, <laughs> no, listen, it was it was tough to fit in fit in the first few months because the language barrier. You know, the language barrier was a, was a massive massive thing. But um, you know, I loved the whole social thing, and you know, there was a few guys there that were brilliant who spoke fluent English. The likes of William Servat, Emilian Tomat, they they were fantastic. You know, William was a great guy, I suppose. You compare William to, you know, one of them guys who did a lot for players on the pitch and off the pitch. You know, he'd have barbecues, he'd invite you over to his house. It was just little things like that that just made, made me say, listen, I'm going to give this a go. Once a week for two hours, I did the French lessons for two hours on my day off. And uh, I suppose that helped as well. But now, when I finished playing rugby in 2007, there wasn't a lot to go back to Ireland. Uh, Ireland was in a, a massive uh, crisis as was most of the world. We had a massive uh, crash in Ireland, the property sector and the banks and stuff. So um, luckily enough, I had opened the bar while I was still playing in 2004. And, you know, my rugby ended on Saturday and I was in pulling points on Monday. I was going to say, you mentioned William Servat's barbecues. I think you've probably returned the favour to that lot a hundred times uh, over with those points bars. Guinness. <laughs> uh, fairness now, I'd be one of them guys, I'd be still very involved with the club and I'd still know a lot of the guys and a lot of the guys still come to my bars for food and stuff during the week and at the weekends after games. And I suppose I've got to know a lot of the, how would you say, the foreign players, you know, Cheslin Colby, Jerome Kino, Charlie Fermanagh, Pete Yaki. You know, I'd be very much that person who would welcome them into my house now and have a barbecue and a few beers because I know what it's like and I know how hard it is to fit in. Like, as I said, you know, when I first came over, there wasn't that many foreigners playing in France. I was the only kind of English speaker. I had the two Maccas, but they spoke the whole time in Tongan. 
Um, I was lucky enough, Gareth Thomas joined us in 2005 and I had a drinking buddy and someone to speak English with for, for two years, which was fantastic. <laughs> and he was a great bloke, great rugby player, but, you know, an even better man as well. And mate, ask quickly on the bars. One of my earliest memories of playing with Glasgow was playing against you in Toulouse. So coming with Glasgow, getting humped by Toulouse. Um, I get like Isatolum, like Finau, Maka, absolute beasts. But then arriving at Toulouse, when it seemed like Toulouse rugby was professional before anything in the UK was professional, you arrived at a stadium that was purpose-built. You had a gym inside the stadium, which I'd never seen before. You had all the training pitches. But then the best bit for us, even we got humped, but was actually coming to your bar in the centre of Toulouse and you pouring us a pint of Guinness. It was a great story and a great memory. Uh, you won't remember. I think I was 19 at the time. You wouldn't remember ages ago. But as that, but it's not the same bar, is it? There's now, have you opened two new ones? Have you got Brennan Snug? And Brennan's Bar, is the original yeah. one still there or is it two new sites? Oh, it's, still, it's still there. I sold it a couple of years ago. Um, I suppose I bought a bar while I had that bar in the village where I lived in. And, um, you know, the village I live in, there's 12,000 people and only one bar. So it just... Uh, it, <laughs> it, it works. <laughs> it, it worked. And I, I just found I was just, it was, it, was, it was tough going into town. And, you know, the weekends, it was getting, it was getting tough. Like coming home at three and four o'clock in the morning. So... No, I, ha- I had that bar for 12 years in town, but um, the one in the village, I, I live probably 500 metres away. I, go, I walk to work and I can check it out a bit easier. And then I bought one out by the airport, uh, Brennan Snug, two years ago. And everyone's talking about Antoine Dupont at the moment. You mentioned uh, a few of the current Toulouse crop that um, come and have a bid. Has he, has he been in? Well, Antoine's been in a few times, yeah. But listen, we have an old saying, what happens to Brennan stays in Brennan's <laughs> <laughs> Good lad. Uh, uh, no, listen. They're all good guys, you know. I mean, Anton's fantastic. It's the same, his son Josh, Josh is playing with him at the moment. Josh just signed a two-year deal with Toulouse, so um, Josh just said he's very humble and very down-to-earth guy. When he plays with Toulouse or he plays with France, he just he, he just seems to bring the game to another level, doesn't he? I think yesterday Ireland had obviously done a lot of homework and had tried to, you know, put a lot of pressure on him and stop him from playing. But um, we just seen a bit of brilliance for the first try. And more, more generally on this this front side, obviously there's a strong um, Toulouse flavour when everyone's fit. What do you make of the job that, that Fabian Galtier and Sean Edwards have done? And, and we've mentioned Thibaut Giroud, we've had him on the, the podcast behind the scenes. Um, they look fitter, they look better defensively, but they look stronger mentally as well, don't they? Yeah, I suppose uh, French teams wouldn't have travelled well in the past, whether it be European Cup or international rugby. But I just think France rugby has gone through uh, in the last 10 years, I suppose going back you know, to the World Cup where they reached the final, but, you know, playing very badly, you know, they haven't been coached well. And, and you know, they've had Jack Brunel, they've had uh, Philippe Saint-André, Guinovez, you know. I just think what Fabian has brought, he, you know, William Sabat, obviously, he works on the scrums, the pack, the mall. Sean Edwards, um, fantastic for defence. Uh, Laurent Lebeat, um attack. Um, as you said, that guy Thibault just... He's an amazing record, everything he's done, like from NFL to athletics to, you know, he's just brought them to another level. Um, I think a lot, a lot of French packs in the past would have blown up after 60 minutes, but certainly now they, they can go for 80 minutes plus. I think yesterday they didn't really play that well, but I don't think they were a let play. But I'd say that that's, every, every team has one bad game in them, and I think yesterday was possibly, you know, the French, that was that one bad game. Does that not make it almost more impressive then to get the first win in Ireland for over 10 years whilst not really playing 100%? You mentioned that the scrum looked a little bit weak. I thought Aldrit did an amazing job to save the scrum a couple of times as it was wheeling. I thought Olivon sort of saved the line out, creaked for the first 30 minutes, but then they got themselves a platform in the second half. Is it not a sign of a side that is seriously on the up that if they can creak like that, that they don't crack and that they actually then win a game like that in Dublin for the first time in 10 years. Yeah, I suppose it's a, you know, the mental strength seems to be very, very good there at the moment. I said, listen, the, the scrum, they weren't dominant. Um, I suppose the line out, I'd like to see someone like uh, Cameron Mocky come in. I, I just thought he's played very well with Bordeaux, you know, Cretton and Jalanche. I, I, w- I, w- I would love to see Wocky, you know, starting off uh, in the, the next Six Nations game. I think he deserves a, deserves a chance. I think, you know, he's a guy I'd nearly put in second row. I'd I'd like to see him, you know, playing second row as well. Obviously, you mentioned Guinovest a couple of minutes ago. And for me, as as being sort of um, 
having French rugby in my heart, I always met the big, the, my big coaches were huge motivators. Guinoves, I'm not sure he ever taught you anything about how to tackle a guy or how to pass a ball, but bloody hell, he got under everybody's skin, right? He, he's just an incredible, incredibly clever and good manager at getting the best psychologically out of his players and his team. And he was just an incredibly charismatic manager, you know, who would really appeal to who you are as a person, to your heart and go and get there. And I know from what I've heard that that was really the, the, the recipe of success for Toulouse for a lot, lot, a lot of years. You know the new rugby and you know how management has got to change. And I know obviously that you played with your, you know, with your heart on your sleeves for sure. Do you reckon there's still a, a place for this passion, for this heart, for this uh, keeping rugby as a, how do you say that? Yeah, a way of expressing how big your heart is or it's gone really the other way of overanalyzing everything and you and you know go into the details of everything rather than just speaking about heart and passion. Well, I definitely think you have to have heart and passion to start off with anyway. And I suppose you need to have that bit of bit of madness. Every team needs to have them kind of enforcers, two or three guys who can just cause havoc. That's what Gino is. You know, I asked him why he signed me one day after we beat Leicester and you know, in the bar after a couple of beers and he went on, William Savat throws the ball, Fabian Blues is great in the line-outs, Michelac, great passer. He, he went through the whole team, you know, and then he just says, you cause fucking havoc. But he <laughs> says, you know, we, we, we need that and that's what makes a, a rugby team, like, you know, 15 guys all bringing something different to the table. But, but no, I just think, you know, the game, obviously, you, you can't really have that fighting spirit anymore and you can't really get away with that, you know, when I started in the 90s playing rugby, like rocking, like we used to stand all over guys. And when the fight broke out, you know, I mean, everyone came in. But now, nowadays, you just that's finished. That's gone out of rugby, I suppose, with the whole HIA thing, the TMOs uh, being cited after games. It's just certain things have changed for the better. But I just think the TMOs just used too much. Like we look at the French yellow card yesterday. They say it was a trip, you know what I mean? I, I just think... You know, something like that, like in our day, it would have been laughed at. Like. That's not even verging on chaos. That was just clever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, the referee didn't pick up on that. I don't think the touch judge picked up on it. There's just someone, you know, up in a box picked up on that. And I just think sometimes, it, you know, it's tough to watch rugby because, you know, stop, start, stop, start. Like, that's the only thing I'd say. Like, listen, when French get into their offloading game, they're fantastic to watch. And, uh I suppose when I came to Toulouse as well, there was no real game plan. I remember used to get calls off Leinster coaches, Irish coaches, because we had three European Cup finals, two French finals. I was just saying, what's their game plan? I said, lads, there is no game plan. It just literally it doesn't matter what number is on your back. Dino Bays always said, play what you see in front of you. I can remember catching the ball one day in the 22, and I didn't mark, and I could just hear him tap, tap on two shots. Going, what's he saying? Kick the ball to t- touch. So I kicked it, and thankfully it got it went about 50 metres, and we got a line out on the halfway line. Uh, but I just said after the game, if I did that in Leinster or Ireland, I'd never play again. Like, you'd be dropped. Um, so I remember another thing, like, I used to just hit rooks, and I, I, I just take ball into contact, go to ground, and I just remember this whole, dooboo, dooboo, stay in your feet, stay in your feet. And that was another thing, you know, getting into that whole French offloading game. Like, I come over at 28, but I'd say I played my best five years of rugby in France. Because you were allowed to express yourself, if that makes sense. And that's a really interesting point, because one of the criticisms of, of Ireland over the past sort of five to, to ten years, even, particularly under Joe Schmidt, was that they weren't maybe allowed to express themselves. Andy Farrell's obviously trying to change things, we, we think, but have we seen evidence of that? What do you make of Ireland under Farrell? I think he's done a good job. Like it was, it's hard to take over after the success that Joe Smith had, Joe beating the All Blacks twice you know, European Cups with Leinster, you know, for any coach, you know, there's, there's certain players there that are, this could be their last year, the likes of Keane Healy, 33, Johnny Sexton, 35, like Johnny's going to have to hang up the boots at some stage. But I think what he has to do is he's got to um, invest in his younger players. Like if you look at that generation, 2018, 2019, France won two World Cups. Like we've seen a lot, a lot of them players now playing top 14, and now, you know, you've probably seen half of that World Cup side actually playing for France at senior level, which is incredible. Whereas in Ireland, I think uh, of that generation, there's only one player who's come through. And I think, you know, the whole chief thing is fantastic as well because it gives French kids the opportunity to play. Like, you go back 10 years, like the Toulons and the Montpelliers and the, the Racings, they were just buying the best teams in the world because 
They wanted results straight away. They wanted to win Boutier, the Bernouses. They wanted to win European Cups. And if that meant sacrificing the future French generation of young kids coming through, so be it. They just wanted results. Whereas a team like Toulouse has a fantastic uh, cold rugby, as they call it. Um, and they always bring through, you know, of course, it's great to have foreign players. And, you know, I was one of them, but they certainly bring through a lot of their players from the underage system, the Crabos, the Espoirs, uh, and they give them a chance. Uh, and that's like, you know, Vey's coached there for 20 plus years and he was fantastic for that. And going back to, to your career, Trevor, I mean, look, we, we, we can't skirt over the point that when you Google Trevor Brennan, there's fights left, right and centre and the obvious, the obvious things come up. We've mentioned mm. your bars, we've mentioned you go down in absolute folklore in Toulouse. You're, a, you're still a legend over there. But there was an incident that ended your career over there, and, and you've spoken about it many, many times before. There was a lifetime ban, then it was reduced down to a five-year ban. You've spoken about it before, but just give us an insight into kind of what happened. Was it really about someone saying that the pints in your bar were watered down? Because if so, we could all understand, I think. Nah, I took offence to something someone was saying about my mother, but um, that's why I went in, over the wall and into the stand. But um, I suppose it was just one of them things like the Eric Cantona incident, just, you know, the, the fog or the mist came down, kind of was all over in a split second. I probably didn't, did things 10 times worse on the pitch. <laughs> you know, I went up, hit the guy two or three times, it was all over. But yeah, listen, it was just one of them things uh, I did. I regretted it. I just wish that someone else had been down there warming up with me. But, you know, he told me to go down, warm up. And as I was warming up, there was... You know, points of beer being thrown over the wall and abuse. I went over the stretch and there was a bit of abuse being hurled. And I, I just, again, I went up into the crowd and yeah, that was it. I think that was uh, probably my second last game of rugby. And you paid a heavy price. Uh, do, do you kind of look back on that and feel like, because obviously there's a lot made at the moment about, you know, mental health, but looking after players in, in that respect as well as physically, do you kind of, how do you look back on that? Do you, do you wish things were handled a bit differently by other people as well to kind of look after you and get you through um, that? No, listen, it, it was tough. I, I won't deny it. Like, uh, probably had a bit of depression there for a couple of months afterwards, but I was lucky. I had a pretty tight family. I had a pretty uh, good group of friends in Toulouse. I suppose, you know, the fact that I had work and, you know, the going into the bar took me my mind off, off, off it a bit, you know. Um, I got into doing a bit of coaching in Toulouse with uh, the underage for a couple of years. I obviously gave that up on my own. That started playing so I could go and watch them. But um, I regret it because I possibly, you know, I felt I probably had another two or three years to, to play. I was, I was signing a deal with Racing in Paris for two years. You know, definitely I deserved the suspension. Uh, you know, I think if they gave me three months, six months, no one would have blinked an eyelid and I wouldn't do it. So I would put my hand up and say I deserved it. But I think, you know, the IRB, like, giving me a life ban, like, kind of, you know, made me more of a kind of a, how would you say, they kind of put me on a pedestal, really, because, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I remember there was a there was a, an article written, I think it might have been in mid-Olympic, you know, they compared me to, Zinedine Zidane and uh, uh, what's his name, Eric Cantona and Trevor Brennan and talking about getting the Legion of Honour. Like the, the French Federation gave me a two-week ban. That's what they gave me. That's what they considered it was worth it. And then a couple of weeks later, a, a life ban. So, yeah, listen, it is what it is. I can't change it. And just had to learn to live with it, you know. But, you know, it'd be very much now like things I've done in life and things I've done in rugby on the pitch and off the pitch. I try and pass them messages on to my own kids. It's just, I suppose, uh, I never came from a rugby background. Uh, no one in my family played rugby. So, you know, I had to make a lot of mistakes and, and I learned from by making the mistakes. Um, you know, I mean, I would have had a lot of kind of red cards, yellow cards playing in Ireland, but. As I, as I went on, you know what I mean? It was just all a kind of a learning curve. And I suppose now the knowledge that I have, I pass that on to my kids. They don't make the same mistakes. Yeah, you can be tough. Yeah, you can be hard. But there's a way of doing it, you know? Definitely. And we all make mistakes, but uh, clearly you've made a huge success over there, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. And um, I know I know Johnny's itching to get down to the bar and we'll um, come and do a live show there at some point, I'm sure. It'll be a pleasure, yeah. yeah. We'd look after you. There'll be three points. <laughs> oh, we're there. oh God. you said enough 
No, definitely. <laughs> I think around the, look, it's obviously going to be events in the future, but definitely in around next year, Six Nations, when fans are back, European rugby games in Toulouse, and obviously World Cup 2023, Toulouse, one of the host cities. We'd love to get down and see you for a beer in Toulouse at some point. That'd be magic. Um, I wanted to quickly get back to your kids, Trev, because we kind of skipped over it a little bit. Yeah. But like Danny back playing last night, he obviously had a, a bad injury. He was at Montpellier, now building up some game time. Um, massive tight head prop. Uh, Josh as well, we've talked about him. Really good potentials as a second row. Have they had any contact from the Irish Federation? Like obviously... I'm fairly sure is that Danny was born in Dublin, but he's been raised in Toulouse. Have they had any chat back and forth about whether like a province back home would want to take them or they want to give it a crack with France and go the whole way over here in France? A couple of years ago, Daniel had a bit of contact from uh, Munster. But um, as I said, France gave them all their opportunities. Um, you know what I mean? They, they've, I just think, you know, if Ireland came knocking, I just think you couldn't turn your back on France because they started playing their rugby in Toulouse. They, they were given their opportunities under 16s, 18s, 20s with France. So, yeah, no, they're 100% French, you know. Um, Daniel, unfortunately, he was part of that great generation that won the World Cup in 2018. And, uh, you know, after that, you know, Vern Cotter contacted him and asked him to join Montpellier. I suppose when someone like Vern Cotter comes knocking on the door, you kind of think this is going to be great. But unfortunately, uh, he had a knee operation after the World Cup. And then uh, I think one of his first top 14 games for um, Montpellier against Paul, he tore the hamstring off the bone and broke his ankle in the same tackle. So he was out for 12 months and then uh, COVID came as well. So that was another. So he really hadn't played for what, 13, 14 months. And then when he had come back, it was, you know, I suppose he said uh, Montpellier wasn't a really happy place to be because there wasn't that real team spirit. Um, those the club was in a bit of bit of trouble on the pitch, off the pitch. And Jeremy Davidson came looking for him in Breve as a joker medical. So Montpellier released him. He's there now and he's, he's happy, happy as a pig in shit, as they say. Um, you know, he's not getting a lot of game time at the moment, but I'm sure he'll build into that slowly, you know. Uh, Breve, as he said, it's a happy place. It's a family club. You know, he's getting great coaching. Um they just listen. They're not one of them clubs to have the biggest biggest budget in France, but they they play with their hearts and they they're, they're like family on the pitch and off the pitch, as Daniel says. That's how he'd explain it. And then Josh, obviously, Josh is just an, a different animal altogether. He's just to let's say Toulouse really just they just signed him a few weeks ago for two years, but um, I suppose he's uh, very mature uh, for his age, if that makes sense. Um, I suppose kind of my kids had to grow up pretty quick, you know, living in France. And in the early years, they, they were the ones who did all the translating for me and, uh, and and the mother, you know, whether it be in the shops or getting the mobile phone fixed or getting the tire changed on your car. was like, hey, Danny, you have it? What? It was just, uh, you know, they've been great kids uh, in the sense, like, you know, over the years, like when they're not playing rugby, they're in the bar, they could be washing dishes, collecting glasses. Um I suppose going back to Daniel, you know, when he went to Montpellier, he's getting an education of life, not just rugby, but, you know, he, he learned how to use a washing machine, he learned, learned how to cook <laughs> his own meals. He knows what it means to pay electricity bills, gas bills, pay a mortgage. It's just just them things I try and instill into them as well, you know. Brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much for coming on the show, Trevor. Um Great to get your insight on Ireland, France, but also hear about you passing the baton down and um, producing a few more France internationals rather than Ireland ones in the future. Um, And as soon as we can travel, the fans are back. Benji and I are over. Johnny's coming over. And we're there. Brennan's Bar, Brennan's Snug, whichever one. We'll see you there. Yeah, I I want to come for the beers and the the social side. Johnny wants to come because he heard there was free pints. So that's the Scottish speaking (laughs) in him. You know, he's like, whoa, I'll drive a long way for that. Uh, but I'm yeah. definitely coming. It's it's the cathedral of it's the cathedral of Toulouse. It's well worth the trip. The door will always be open, guys. You're more than welcome. Cheers, Trev. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Thank you. You're very welcome. He's a legend. Yeah, he's 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 been very humble about his impact in Toulouse. Huh? He's 
he's done a serious amount of, of good stuff. He, I think originally he was pretty much a back rower, but he accepted to play every single position that they asked him to in, uh, in, in Toulouse. He played lock. He played off the bench as the perfect impact player. He played all the crap games. All those, he mentioned Fabian Pelouse and, and all of them. And like you said, Guinovest told him you're an enforcer. Guinovest at the time was at, at the pinnacle of his career and the pinnacle of, the, of his influential power you know, on, on, on other players. And he would really have Fabien Pelouse, Servat, Fred Michalak, Yannick Josion, uh, Clément Poitroneau, Vincent Clerc, Cédric Emmons. He had them wrapped around their, their, their fingers. You know, he was the boss man. So when the boss man tells you, listen, you're going to be our enforcer, just smash people. Just, you know, scare the living shit out of everybody who's in front of you. He did it. He did it really well. So now I think he's been very, very humble about uh, what he's achieved in Toulouse. He's, he's an absolute legend there. He's a scary man as well. Like he doesn't come, he comes across absolutely lovely, but on the pitch 15 years ago, you didn't want to cross Trevor Brennan. Remember going as an 18, 19 year old, being completely starstruck. So playing against the Maka brothers, who are obviously the older uncles of like Edwin Maka and the people that have come through France recently. Uh, Josion, like you said, Heyman's, Poitrano, being starstruck, you know, playing European Cup rugby, but he absolutely battered the shit out of us on the pitch. And then afterwards, your best mate taking him to the bar, pulling you pints of Guinness. An amazing memory. And look, he was, during that, again, when I look back at my youth and watch a European rugby before I became a rugby player, he was absolutely the pinnacle of edge, directness, um, bringing that bit of ruthless scruff to a game that Toulouse needed. It was They had everything. They had, like, amazing. They didn't have a game plan. They were absolute all-stars, but he was the guy that was just direct, would sort everything out, and was an absolute legend. Look, he's, he's an amazing bloke. Um, and we should, get his, we should get Danny on soon as well. We should get Danny on and speak to him and see how he's getting on as a sort of... Because obviously he speaks English with an Irish accent like his old man. But yeah. really interesting to see what it's like going through the, the product. A sort of, I guess mix of a francophile but irish upbringing with mum and dad and then going through an academy system here in france and what it's like um but yeah great great man and yeah it was cool to hear him talk about how much he loved toulouse the, the town of toulouse the people of toulouse um but they absolutely love him too great book we'll have a look at the other two six nations games in just a moment but first have a listen to this hello um hello there what voice do you want me to do we will do a little bit i'll just do my voice do I? your voice yeah thanks Hello, I'm Joe Marler. People think I hate people, but I don't. <laughs> I actually love interaction with people. I love finding out what jobs they do and whether I could do what they do. The Joe Marler Show. Joe Marler Show. With new episodes every Wednesday. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Brilliant to have Trevor on. Um, what about the other Six Nations games there, Johnny? Um, uh, Scotland, another false dawn or what? Look, honestly, a little bit architects of their own downfall, I would say. I think there was two or three elements of that game that if Scotland's decision-making had been slightly different... Um, and again, I was I was watching the game live with Jamie Roberts for Rugby Bash, which is sort of watch-along thing. And we debated about this the whole way through the game. But I thought there were two opportunities for Scotland to take three points. Once when they were at, I think, 17-3 up, and they had a penalty on the 15-meter line. I was saying, take three, it's test match rugby, get up to get to 20 points. They refused, quick tap, um, and got turned over on the line. Gary Graham got turned over for crossing with, with Cummings, and Wales got the other end to score. Again, I think... When they were down to 14 men, they had a chance to level the game up and they didn't. They decided to go for a quick tap. And I just thought, I'm not sure if it was delusions of grandeur, but I just feel in these test match moments, if three points are on offer and you can stretch a lead, things can change so quickly. We've seen with red cards, we've seen with turnovers, we've seen with, like things happen so quickly in rugby. And for me, I'm not sure if it's coming from a Bayonne, where my mentality has always been, Look, get ahead on the scoreboard. It doesn't matter. Like you need to win games, lay down your foundation of points and just nudge ahead. And so, look, there's a leadership group that make decisions. There's two or three of them that they get together. And I just thought that, so Jamie, completely the opposite to me. Jamie Roberts thought, no, no, like quick tap, build a lead, aim for seven points, bury the game. Whereas my mentality is different. And I think that came back to haunt us. Obviously, Xander Fagerson gets red carded. We can get into that. Um, but then once once he's red carded, once Callum Sheedy as well comes on, uh, the game completely changes. Looked completely comfortable with 50 men on the pitch. I thought Hoggy, Stuart Hogg was outstanding again. Hamish Watson everywhere. Uh, I thought Chris Harris defensively and offensively, which I haven't seen that much from an attack, but like defensively, the way they pressed and rushed uh, out of 12-13 and shut down everything that Wales could throw at them in attack-wise, the first half was outstanding, but as soon as they went down to 14 men, they couldn't get that rush and the game opened up and it changed. So, look, pivotal moment. Um, by the letter of the law, it's a red card. You can't argue, but I don't know what else Sander Fagerson's meant to do in that situation. He's come in at a rate of knots to try and blow out his man the way he's been taught since he was... Six, seven, eight years old. I don't know, Benji, if you think any differently, but he can't do much differently. He's about 30 centimetres off the off the floor. He's 20 stone. He's done yeah. everything correctly, but it's an unfortunate click. Compare that to the Omahani when he comes in and actually goes, he comes up, you know, he comes up and finds somebody's face. He comes up and is clear at an angle as opposed to going down. I just really, really harsh on Xander, but that's it. Unfortunately, the game's changed and then Wales haven't looked back. I thought Shidi accelerated things really well and... They stole the game. I'll answer the, the, the Xander Fagerson thing first. I really do think not only has he been taught that, that that's a tight head prop. You're meant to scrummage. You're meant to not be a casualty in defense. And you have to hit rocks, right? But he, he, we just spoke to one of the greatest enforcers in world rugby history. And and that's what they ask from your, your pack, you know? Test match rugby. 100%. Hit them as hard as you can. That's what Peter Omaoni tried to do, except he just went over the, the, over the top. You're meant to hurt people in rucks. I mean, it's the body shot of boxing. You know, people laugh and say, oh, it's dangerous and scrums and all that. That's, that's the whole reason why we have space on a rugby field. So if you take away that, you're going to kill the game from within. Scrummaging the hell out of other opposition teams and people, oh, you have to, you know, consecutively, you have to do two or three scrums in a row. It's boring. Yeah. Take away that. Give a free kick every time there's something that's happening in a scrum and the guys will, will run like, like headless chickens. There'll be even less, um, even less space. And it's the same idea for Zanger Ferguson. But on top of that, on top of that, what I, I think is interesting. In the summer, what happened? In summer, World Rugby introduced those new rules on the, in the fact that in the rucks, you need to release as soon as possible. And basically promoting the possibility for um, jacklers, you know, for uh, sort of ball stealers on the floor to actually go and compete for that ball because they didn't want teams to be able to do four or five minutes of boring pick and go at the end. Okay, I, I understand that. We're back to the old drill where the second tackler, get your hands off, show that you're not assistant tackler, and then jackal the shit out of it. And the opposition, with the other way around, every single coach of the world said to their tight five, to all their players in the team, you need to clean the shit out of every work because they're going to go and compete for the ball. So not only did Zangro Ferguson got told all his life, you're a tight head prop, you're here to smash people. That's, that's his job, basically, and to scrummage. And on top of that, in the summer, they say, oh, red alert. They will try to steal everything from the floor. You need to go. 
listen, if you press pause, there's obviously a contact of a shoulder to a head. It has to be a card. I, I, I could not disagree with that. It's the law. And the law is there to protect the health of players. Yeah. So when there's an incident, where there's an accident, I understand. It needs to be sanctioned, even if it was an accident. Even, even if he didn't mean to, it still happened. So you need to protect the players. I'm just saying, because Wynn Jones is just lifting his head as Fagerson is actually trying to hit them, for me, it seems that it's a mi- mitigating factor that should be taken in consideration. Accidental. So that's the me. only thing. It's the only thing that I would have seen differently. Go from red to yellow. Because red is a heavy burden for a team. Exactly. Uh, so it's it's a real it's a real tough one. But I mean, to be honest, it's that's a key moment. But we, I think you also have to say, I think Scotland just didn't have the shoulders to do it in terms of, like you said, decision making, just a bit of resilience. But hats off to Wales because they're not particularly good in defence, but they can score tries and this can they can score good tries. And and to be honest, just my last point, Johnny. 2012, I think it was, Wales lost 10 games in a row. They had their worst losing streak in history, I think it was. They lost all their November tests. They lost a shit ton of games to the past six nations. They come to Paris in the opener and they beat us by two points. They ended up doing the Grand Slam. So everybody's looking at different forms of different teams. You also need to assess it week by week. Shit happens on a rugby field. You can get a card. You can get an intercept try. You can get a, a, an injury. You can get whatever it is. And actually, it's a matter of saying, well, yeah, they didn't play against losers. And Wales did well and scored some beautiful tries and got back into the game. See, strangely, I think if, if Scotland, again, it's ifs and buts. If Scotland had kept 15 players on the pitch, Scotland are winning that game at Canter. For me, yeah. I, I, like Wales didn't show anything until 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 Scotland were a man down. Similarly, the the week before, but I totally agree with the point you made about the rule changes. But hang on, you say they didn't show anything. They still scored a beautiful try just before halftime, and they yeah. were fifteen on fifteen. Beautiful try. Yeah, they did. I'll give you that. The, the one thing I wanted to go back and agree with was the rule change that you said and what it's highlighted for me. It's far easier to be without the ball, which is why we have England playing the way they play the programmed kicking, kick, chase, press, pressurized rugby. And secondly, it's why also with these protocols that have come in, that's why we see games. For me, games are being too often decided by red cards. For me, the past two weekends, the games have been decided for Wales. They played against 14 men for long periods of games and they've won two games because of it. But I think you also have to, when a TMO is brought in as often as they are now, there have to be mitigating circumstances, like you said. There has to be, look, it's accidental. Because look, you take yourself back to the Trevor Brennan period. The amount of times in collisions, people getting clattered in the head, stamped on, rucked, punched. The, the volume of these um, collisions has reduced massively, I think, in terms of the nasty stuff that's going on. I think that's also the element you have to look for with Xander Fagerson. There's nothing nasty there. O'Mahony the week before, yes, there was. He's intentionally gone for somebody's face. Whereas Xander, for me, I think... That is purely accidental. And I know we have to protect people, but there has to be a, it has been a collision with the head, but it's accidental. So let's look at reducing somewhat, maybe the red to a yellow. The message is still there, but once somebody's off the field, the game's gone. It completely flips any momentum and the game's lost. Just to put the kind of safety and world rugby point of view out there, it's very difficult when you try and bring intent into laws, isn't it? So they're obviously trying to protect players any contact to the head is outlawed. And then people watch that, don't they? Fans watch that, kids watch that. So you can see what they're trying to do. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. But then the be- the best way to do it is to say, those professional players are doing it. How can I adapt my behavior? So Pito Omaoni can try to hurt guys in the ruck, but just you can't, exactly what Johnny said, you can't go from uh, down to up and actually try to go and hit his head. Okay, you can't do that. But also they can say, Xander Ferguson, how can he change his 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 behavior? You can assess a tiny bit more. You can be a little bit more, less of a loose cannon of trying to launch yourself uh, from 10 meters out. Okay. But if accidents happen, you're going to be get penalized with a mitigating uh, factor. That's and the, the realistic, and Benji, you'll agree 100% with this. The amount of times that you get criticized by a coach for not being aggressive enough oh, at yeah. a breakdown situation. And so like, if you, you hear the directors from the TMO, he's come from distance at pace. Yeah, that's what we've been taught to do since year dot. And if you don't come at pace aggressively, you don't play. It's, yeah, it's the same. That. It's the same TMO that tells you, oh, you did a clear out without using your arms. Who has ever what? cleared out? Who used who used their <laughs> arms in a clear out? Or a, a clear out is a shoulder, a shoulder in somebody's body part. Or a mall. Oh, you've joined that mall without your arm. Who joins a mall with their arm? It's impossible. 
sort for anybody that's been in a mall, you know, you hit the thing a million miles an hour because there's 800 kilos of mass in front of you and you have to affect it. You have to change what's in front of you. And the only way you can do that is with adding power and aggression to a situation. So look, I think there's aggression. You're coming from distance. Yes. But is he looking to take somebody's head off and injure his head? No. Um, has he lifted his head last minute? That's the thing. There are so many variables in a ruck situation. It's impossible to judge people on that split second and give them a red card. So it's just really, really harsh. And it completely, for me, changed the result of the game. Four red cards now in the last year and a bit of Six Nations action after none for sort of six years before that. So I think yeah. it's, a, it's a subject that we may well be coming back to. But um, Johnny, you mentioned England and their tactics. Owen Farrell and Eddie Jones seemed very happy after the game in their interviews. Um, would you have been? Certainly happier than after Scotland <laughs> the week before. Look, it's a step in the right direction. They, they definitely tried. They were much more enterprising. Um, they looked more positive. There were still a load of unforced errors, which is uncharacteristic. I'm not sure if there's... I mean, I don't. these things get ironed out, but the amount of times we saw balls knocked on or whether it was Farrell or Sinclair who ended up getting man of the match and had a good game all round. But generally... They looked to look after ball. They're more enterprising, creative. Uh, they went away from the kick, ping pong, kicking away six on twos. They were trying, um, which I think after the disappointment of the week before is all you can ask. And I think people have these huge expectations of England because they are a huge rugby nation. You can't shy away from it. Um, but look, they were much better than the week before. It was definitely a step in the right direction. Um, and it will build confidence for them going into the next week against Wales. Wales. Like that's a huge game. Um Big crunch for them, uh, Wales, England, in two weekends' time. So, look, a huge step in the right direction, much more positive. But we all know, because we've seen them do it, they can be better. Um, so, watch out, Wales. I, I don't agree, mate. I thought they were shit, to be honest. They were. I, I thought what? they were boring as. Um, <laughs> a step. Uh, well, no, it's a shit, shit is mean. It's, it's not, not shit. I, I still think that they're, they're not, not good enough and far from as, as good as they can be. I was expecting so much more. So they get bollocked by losing a game against Scotland. So you're thinking, all right, this might actually turn out to be a good thing because we're going to learn from, from our, 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 our difficulties. The main assessment of everyone during the week is to say, maybe the leadership of the, of, of the group, they need to take the things from within. Eddie Jones is obviously a fantastic coach, but maybe he's proven his limits in terms of motivating to the team. All right, no, so the leadership needs to step up, uh, step up and, and show how, how good they can be. Then during the week, you're like, listen, it's one of the biggest upsets of the year. And they, they say that basically the main thing is that they haven't moved from, they haven't gone any way forward from October 2019 uh, World Cup final get lost against South Africa. Okay. For one, the team selection, I was not blown away by it. I didn't think there was that many changes. It was things that we've seen on and on and on before that just got replicated. You know, I'm not saying to chuck the whole team away. They always have some extraordinary players in there. I'm just saying, try something. You know, just maybe test some new guys. Um, let's just see if a new combination can work. Let's do something different. Who would you bring in, Benji? Who would you bring I in? I don't know. I mean, poor poor Willis, who who got injured oh, and mate. broke his leg, Gutted. and it was it was it was heartbreaking to hear him scream and exp- express his pain. I would have tried him. Um, I mean, well, I think we already spoken about the. It's quite a big topic around here, around the two Simmons brothers. Give it a try, give it a go. There's some exciting, exciting players uh, in, in in England, and that's that's the thing that I, maybe I would have liked to see a bit more. I mean, look, they they, they Ben Earl's on the bench, oh, mate. and and, so and he's the, been legendary for Bristol. So in the in the, in the team selection, those are the two guys you've mentioned their names already. Those are the two guys that I was looking forward to watching, Ben Earl and Willis. Those are the two blokes I wanted to see Especially with Under Underhill being injured. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So Cochnelos, listen, I would pick Cochnelos in a squad any day, any time, okay? Because he's a fantastic player. He can play two positions and he hits like a motherfucker. So I will definitely <laughs> take him. But I'm just saying it was it, it's a game to try. You could even try, I don't know, you could try Market Smith uh, at 10. You can try another new, I love Benny Youngs, okay? But you could try a new, a new, a new nine, get him, get him a start. Um, you know, I just thought it was it was a bit of the easy option to going for safety. They put 40 points on Italy, who Italy, to be fair to them, scored a beautiful first try. Beautiful. And, and, and a good second one. But I'm I'm still it's a it's a pick and go from Johnny Met from Johnny Hill. It's another pick and go from Willis. It's an intercept try from Anthony Watson. It's a crazy dive from uh, headless chicken Johnny NFL. who apparently should have not been awarded, but no I don't way. care because it was beautiful and, and uh, uh, athletically it was great. But other than that, 
I thought it was a boring game to watch and there wasn't a lot and there's a lot of errors. So no, I I think they should push even further. Yeah, that's going to get them to win average teams, but that's not England trying to say we're going to get better from being second number two in the world. I don't. Th- I think they're almost. So Eddie Jones is almost a victim of his own success, and he's clearly ah. he's stubborn as a mule, right? But he won last year's Six Nations. He won an Autumn Nations Cup. He's going back to tried and tested, and what's won? He's lost against Scotland. He's not going to have a complete reset, shit the bed, and then completely reset for Italy and change the team. He might tinker. The frustration for English fans and for rugby fans is that they've seen the same old kind of churning out boring wins in the manner in which they play. And people would love to see a Marcus Smith. People would love to see a change in nine just to see what could happen. That's the biggest criticism that's leveled at Eddie and this English side is change it up a little bit because the premiership is churning out some serious talent who could be phenomenal international level. And before we finish on that, Benji, you mentioned it. Obviously, a lot of um, chat about Johnny May's try. Would you have given it? Yeah, 100%. And Johnny wouldn't, clearly. No. I think I think he's trying to die for the line. Um, no, I, think it's, it's, I think it's completely different when, what's his name again? The, the, the massive back row for the All Blacks who actually jumped over a guy um, you know, d- during during a game, that's that's on 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 the forty meter line. There, he does dive with a guy who's trying to chop him Mate, the ankles. He doesn't dive, and, he then, and then goes. Yeah, how many how many people? Jump except he to doesn't score a jump. Try. He doesn't jump. Regather his feet and then score. He jumps and scores. So it's a dive. It's a weird jumpy dive, but it's a dive. <laughs> you have you never know? dived to score a try like that well, in your no life. No chance. <laughs> never, mate. I would have dislocated my my shoulder doing that. Um, so I, I, I'm never going to try this, of course. But I'm just saying, no, nah, I would have given it. That that doesn't bother me. Why, why wouldn't we be able to dive over a guy if you're trying to if you're trying to score? You can dive over a ruck, right? You can dive over a ruck and score. Why can't you dive over a tackler? Um, so it was really weird for me because it was one of my mates that was the referee. So Mikey Adamson's the first Scottish ref in the Six Nations for 20 years, and he's a lovely bloke. But for me, it was a complete like it's a basic rule of rugby that you can't jump to evade a tackle. It's a simple law. And so I could not believe when they didn't even look at it in the team. Like I'm watching it going, that's, that's clearly going to be chalked off. You can't do that. It's just a basic rule in rugby. You can't jump to avoid a tackle. The tackler coming in has got no chance to tackle the guy's legs because he's hurdled him. And it's not NFL. I mean, yes, it's amazing athletic ability from Johnny May, but it's illegal and it has been forever. You can't jump over tackles. Anyone who's played rugby knows that you can't jump into a tackle, but it's not specifically written into the law. So it's just covered under dangerous play and it's at the referee's discretion, isn't it? But that, for me, I was sitting watching home, absolutely no chance, but he's joué, joué, they played on and he's given it. Look, another guy that I find jumps quite a lot is Eben Estebeth. And you see quite a lot. He gets flipped a lot. There's clips with Hooper, but in the top 14, right? Because he's so big and he's got such a, a sort of high knee lift, he quite often gets flipped, but ha- half the time he sort of half jumps through contact. is really weird, but... Like he's going to knock somebody out with his knee eventually because he's such a big unit. I'd rather have Johnny May jump at me than Evan Etzebeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, for me, that, no chance. Absolutely no way is that a tribe. And just a quick line on the top 14 before we go. Um, we mentioned Danny Brennan playing for, for Breathe. Big win for Euro Club by on, Johnny. Huge. Like I watched the game as well live and they were down 20 points to 10. And I was looking at the fixture list as the game was going on. They go away to Clermont. They've got Leon at home. Uh, home again to Racing, and then they go away to Poe. And I was like, geez, if they don't pick something up here, um, they've now clawed, clawed a couple of points back. They've got a couple of games in hand over Montpellier and Poe. Um, so look, that was really important to claw back. I was really, really pleased the sort of way they did it. They nearly, Galarza, big Argentinian second row, got yellow carded with three minutes to go. They kicked to the corner, breathe. Um, and I thought, oh man, they're going to fold at the last minute. But look, delighted for them. They scraped out a win. Um, and especially going into this sort of next four weekends of rugby that they've got, that was a huge moral victory because it could have been tough. What else did I see? Hang on, I saw uh, Castres beat Montpellier. Montpellier uh, came in hot, but then Castres ended up smacking them, uh, putting 40 points on them and, and delivering a good performance. Montpellier just just not clicking uh, as well as we thought after their first win last week against the Stad, I think at home, uh, Stad got pumped by Bordeaux. Bordeaux are back in business. Uh, Clermont didn't play against Agen because Clermont got three um, COVID uh, positive tests in their squad, or for, no, two positive and one uh, close contact. You know, cas contact. 
So you have to you have to be careful and just postpone that one. Um, and like you said, a big win from La Rochelle. I think La Rochelle beat, beating Toulon and Toulon. La Rochelle are hot, mate. La Rochelle are hot, and they were uh, without as well. without big Winnie Antonio and uh, and Greg Aldrit, the number eight. So they're huge ball carriers and stuff. They really are the team that impresses me the most. Uh, one of the teams, probably the team that impresses me the most at the moment, La Rochelle. We haven't really spoken about them much, but John O'Gibbs, Ronan O'Gara. So you can't get more experience, uh, world European experience in there as a coaching staff. My mate Dato Zirakas Julie, the former Clermont Georgian tight head scrummaging coach there. Uh, Greg Patat, I think the, um, the forwards coach who, who does a really good job at scouting also all those, those young players like Bourgarit and Greg Aldrit that I just mentioned. He gets them out of, I think Aldrit and Bourgarit both won the Espoir, so the academy uh, title for Osh, which is in federal one. And he picked them from there. So he's clearly, he's got a good good eye for young talent. That's cool. Uh, no, no. And they're big units. I mean, Willie Antonio is 150 kgs and he's got big Will Skelton from Saracens behind him, who's another 150 kgs. So they are big heavy hitters with Jules Plisson. He's, he's got a revival, whatever. He's, you know, another heartbeat in, in La Rochelle and he's doing really, really well. So no, a b- big team, um, big team who really need to count on with Toulouse, I think the eighth consecutive win with a bonus point against uh, Port. So they're the ones who are smoking everything and they're top of the league. Thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. Big thanks to Trevor Brennan for joining us as well. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review, watch us on YouTube, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Cheers, guys. Merci beaucoup. Cheers, fellas. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.